Week six of Lent, or uh, maybe we know this Sunday better as Palm Sunday. Uh, throughout the last few weeks, uh, we've been in the season of Lent, and we've been um, uh, in a series called Deep Calls to Deep, where we've been reflecting on how there's this, this longing within us, this deepness within us that's longing for the deepness of who God is, a deeper understanding of who God is, a deeper understanding of this life that God invites us into, and a deeper understanding of, of who it is that, that we've been made and who it is that we've been put here to be on this earth. And so this has been our, our focus as we've journeyed through um, the gospel lectionary texts. And this will continue to be our journey, uh, our lens through, throughout um, this morning as well. And uh, if you've been uh, with us throughout this series, we've been doing a sermon response ritual, um, which is pairing a question with a rock. And the purpose of this is to, to have this rock with us as a reminder of this question, to let it like linger with us throughout the week, um, to let it, it do its work on us um, as this week, as we head into the week and um, be shaped and formed by this question. So uh, if you've been joining us with that, I invite you to have that on hand as well. So as we get ready to jump into our sermon this morning, let's pause for a word of prayer. Loving God, we are grateful uh, for this chance to be together. God, thank you for the gift of technology, um, that in this uh, strange time that we're able to, to be together, to be connected. Um, and God, we acknowledge that um, somehow, mysteriously, your, your spirit is here among us in each of our homes. But more than that, your spirit is drawing us together, connecting us, and continuing to make us uh, um, the body of Christ. And so we're grateful for that. We acknowledge that spirit um, and ask that as we enter into the scriptures now, that your spirit would, would be shaping us and forming us and leading us and guiding us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Palm Sunday story is a familiar story. It's a story of Jesus. It's a story of Jerusalem. It's a story of donkey. It's a story of coats on the ground. It's a story, of course, of palm branches. The Palm Sunday story is a familiar story. But did you also know that the Palm Sunday story is a political story? See, with our one familiar story, we tend to talk about one procession, Jesus on a donkey heading into Jerusalem. But in the, the political story, the story that the Gospels seem to be speaking to and witnessing to, there's not just one procession, but there's actually two processions. And if we miss the, the backdrop, the, the backstory, if we miss the context of, of what the, the Gospel writers are speaking into, then we miss out on the beauty of the story. We miss out on the subversive nature of the story. We miss out on the prophetic nature of the story, and we seem to miss out on the distinction that Jesus is trying to make and the distinction that Jesus is inviting us into. So the Sunday, we have Palm Sunday. Not just one procession, but two processions. So the first procession, not about Jesus, but about a man by the name of Pilate. Now, Pilate was the Roman governor of the, the Judean region. Uh, he represented Rome and oversaw the, the region of the Jewish people. 
And uh, Pilate had this common practice that he would do anytime that there was a major feast, a major celebration, a major holy day for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. He would leave his palace on the west side of the city and would enter into the city. But as Pilate entered into the city in the midst of these major Jewish holy days, he didn't do so by himself, but he did so with all of the, the imperial fanfare that he could muster up. So along with Pilate came droves and droves and droves and droves of soldiers, some of them on foot. And you can imagine as they march into the city, the clanking of their metal armor. Some of these soldiers would have been on horseback, and you can imagine the, 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 the clanking of the horses' hooves as they march into the city. Behind these soldiers would be the beating of war drums as they head into the city. And above all of these droves and droves and droves and droves and droves of soldiers would be the golden eagle of Rome lifted high for all to see. See, as Pilate entered into the city in the midst of this Jewish festival, the message was clear. Don't you dare forget who has the power. See, because on that first Palm Sunday, uh, the, the Jewish city of Jerusalem swelled from 50,000 to over like 180,000 as Jewish pilgrims came to celebrate Passover. This holiday, remembering and calling to mind this great liberating work of God when God freed the Jewish people from the oppressive rule and reign of Egypt generations before. And so as all of these Jews come into the city with all of this expectation of liberation, as they're calling to mind the liberating work of God, Pilate comes in and says, you may celebrate liberation, but you answer to us. God may be good and all, but even God answers to Rome. You may be celebrating, but don't you dare forget who has the power. See, this was an act of political intimidation through and through. Not unlike a presidential motorcade, right? We see a long lineup of these uniform black limousines pulling into a city. And then out of these uniform black limousines, we see these uniform secret service agents standing out. And it's meant to be an act of like intimidation, an act of awe, reminding us of who has got the power. So Pilate, on that first Palm Sunday, heads into the city with this full procession, reminding the people of who has got the power. The first procession. Now the second procession comes from the other side of the city, on the east, and this procession is the procession of Jesus. Now the Gospel of John tells the story like this. He says, the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So John tells us that there was a great crowd gathered for the festival. Again, the Passover, this celebration, this remembrance of the liberating work of God. And this great crowd that has gathered has heard rumors of Messiah. 
the one who they've been crying out to God for, the one that they've been hoping for, the one that they've been praying for, the one who they thought would deliver them and make them a freed and redeemed people once again. And so they come out to greet this would-be Messiah, the, the one who they've heard these rumors about, and they greet him with palm branches. Now, palm branches weren't just the, the common ordinary tree of the day, but the palm branch was filled with all sorts of Jewish political symbolism. Much like the, the, the golden eagle for, the, for the, the Roman Empire was filled with all sorts of political symbolism, so too was the palm branch for the Jewish people. Because all throughout the Old Testament, we see these moments of political victory and political celebrations being greeted with palm branches. And maybe at the forefront of the, the Jewish people as they're greeting Jesus, at the forefront of their mind as they're greeting Jesus, was the, the story of the Maccabean Revolt which happened just a few generations before Jesus. And at this point, the Jewish people found themselves under the occupation of another regime. Are you picking up on the story of occupation, of domination for the Jewish people time and time again? And in this story, this family of the Maccabeans raises up these freedom fighters and leads this violent revolution to free the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. And once they freed the city of God from these oppressive rulers... We're told that they go entering into the city dancing with palm branches. So this great crowd has gathered. They're, they're celebrating, they're remembering, they're, they're enacting this great moment of liberation of God in their past. They're holding these palm branches, calling to mind the Maccabean revolt. And there's the swelling political expectation of what is Jesus going to do as he enters the city. Now, I don't think that we can, like, begin to comprehend the sort of, like, swelling political expectation that was happening there. Um, but this week, as I tried to think of some sort of example, the, the closest thing that could come to mind was maybe that first carry-in post-COVID, right? We're all gathered in the basement. We're trying to figure out what's going to be happening for lunch. And up pulls Lauren, and Lauren goes to his trunk and he grabs that famous crock pot and he opens the door and that curry fills the basement, right? And your stomach starts to gurgle and you start to salivate and you think, we still have to sit through service, right? Like that sort of expectation, but obviously times a thousand because we're talking about violence, we're talking about domination, we're talking about oppression and occupation. So Jesus approaches the city with a swelling political expectation, and as Jesus gets close to the city, Jesus doesn't walk into the city, but Jesus finds a donkey. Jesus sits on the donkey, and Jesus rides into the, or rides into the city on a donkey. Now John reminds the readers of the words of the prophet Zechariah, who speaks of a time when the Jewish people were longing for a king. And this reference comes from Zechariah 9.9, where we're told that rejoice greatly, O daughter Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious, as he humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. For a people longing for a king, expecting a king, waiting for a king, this is the arrival of the king on a donkey. But John would have expected the readers to know what comes next in Zechariah. And Zechariah continues on and says that this king will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. 
he shall command peace to the nations. We have the arrival of the king on a donkey, but now we have a description of how this king will rule. He will cut off the chariot, the tanks of the day. Uh, He will cut off the war horse, the drones of the day, and the battle bow shall be cut off the assault rifles of the day. When this king comes into power, not only does he just, he doesn't just lock up the instruments of war, but he disables and disassembles the instruments of war so that they can no longer function and command violence and domination anymore. When this king comes to power, it's interpreted as good news for the nations. And this is what Jesus is calling to mind as he enters into the city. Now, we're privileged readers, right? We read this with some 2,000 years of distance between us. But it appears that the, those, those watching didn't understand what was happening. I mean, John himself tells us that the disciples didn't know what was going on. But with our distance between the story, we can begin to piece together what Jesus was doing here. And it seems as though what Jesus was doing here was an act of what might be called prophetic theater. Now, prophetic theater is where um, someone takes these common elements and uses them in a new way and brings new life and meaning and purpose to them and invites the audience to consider a new, a different, a better reality. Uh, There's a a modern-day artist by the name of Banksy. Um, Banksy is this anonymous uh, street artist. And uh, Banksy is really well known for his like anti-war and anti-consumerism uh, 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 sorts of displays of art. One of my favorite uh, pieces of art by Banksy is called Rage the Flower Thrower. Um, it appeared on the side of a garage in uh, Bethlehem, I think, which, you know, isn't the most uh, peaceful place in the world right now. And you can see in this image that um, he takes these common elements, right? Like, we see somebody who is like angry, like you look at their face and you can tell by the way that they're dressed that they're, they're ready to fight. They're ready to, to do something. They're in a, in a posture with their arm cocked, ready to throw something. And yet, what's he throwing? <laughs> we have this black and white image and yet in his hand is this burst of color and we see this bouquet of flowers. And it's as if the artist is inviting us to consider what if instead of throwing bombs, we threw something beautiful like flowers. Uh, One commentator on this piece of art said that this piece forces the viewers to consider why they would potentially want to hurl something harmful towards a group of other human beings if they could instead toss something useful their way. It makes everyone who sees it consider the consequences of destructive actions by swapping this thought with what could happen if constructive action was taken instead. Rage the flower thrower reframes the approach to dealing with evil, postulating that the way out can sometimes come from good. See, here we have Banksy taking uh, these common elements things that have uh, a contemporary meaning and purpose to them and reimagines them and invites us, the audience, to reconsider and to think of a new, a better, a different reality. This is prophetic theater. (laughs) And this is what it appears that, that Jesus was doing that first Sunday, that first Palm Sunday. It seems abundantly clear when we take it in context with these two 
uh, processions that Jesus is, is making this message that if you want a king, I will be your king. But I will not be the king that you expect. Because the king that you expect will continue to perpetuate endless cycles of violence and domination. But instead of against us, it's now for us. But Jesus says, I will be your king, not the one that you expect, not perpetuating endless cycles of violence, but instead breaking the cycles of endless violence and domination once and for all. And the way that I'll do that is by being a cog in the wheel, stepping into the midst of the violence and domination and absorbing it all into my body that put me on a cross. See, that first Palm Sunday, Jesus is trying to be abundantly clear, drawing a stark distinction between the procession of Pilate and the procession of Jesus, between the procession of Rome and empire and the procession of the kingdom of God. Commenting on that first Palm Sunday, biblical scholars John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg write, two processions entered Jerusalem on that day. The same question, the same alternative, faces those who would be faithful to Jesus today. Which procession are we in? See, the story of Palm Sunday is a familiar story. It's a political story. But maybe more than all of that, it's a propositional story. Begging us, asking us, which will we choose? Will we follow the politics of power? Or will we follow the politics of peace? Will we follow the politics of power, the way of Rome, the way of empire, that continues to perpetuate endless cycles of violence and domination? Or will we follow the politics of peace, the politics of Jesus, the politics of the kingdom of God that disables and, dis, uh, disassemble, or dis, disables and disassembles the, the weapons and instruments of war? See, this question of will we follow the politics of power or the politics of peace, this is the question of Palm Sunday. But more than that, I think this is the question at the heart of Christianity itself. Now, as we think about the world around us, like I think we know the story of the politics of power really well. See, the story of the politics of power looks like the rallying cry of make America great again. See, the story of the politics of power looks like locking kids in cages, which, by the way, is still happening. The story of the politics of power looks like airstrikes throughout the Middle East, which, by the way, is still happening. The story of the politics of power looks like two mass shootings one week apart and this rallying cry for our rights to Second Amendments rather than the command to love our neighbor. The story of the politics of power looks like all of the ugly, violent Christian nationalism and racism on full display January 6th. We know the story of the politics of power, but do we know the story of the politics of peace? The story of the politics of peace looks like blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness and justice sake. The story of the politics of peace looks like good news to the poor, proclaiming release to the captives, freedom for the oppressed, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. 
The story of the politics of peace looks like loving our enemies. The story of the politics of peace looks like letting our yes be yes and our no be no. The story of the politics of peace looks like associating with, eating with, entering into the story of the unclean, those who have been kicked to the margins, left to be forgotten. The story of the politics of peace looks like letting go instead of clinging. The story of the politics of peace looks like living from a place of belovedness. The story of the politics of peace looks like Jesus. But not the 21st century white American Jesus who conquers in his name, but the first century brown-skinned Jesus who knew Roman occupation and yet chose the cross over the sword. But thanks be to God, The story of the politics of peace does not end with the cross. It does not end with the tomb. And it does not end with death. Because the story of the politics of peace ends with resurrection. It ends with ascension. It ends with a new heaven and a new earth. It ends with one new humanity. And it ends with a new king and a new kingdom. We know the story of the politics of power. But do we know the story of the politics of of peace. This question of will we follow the politics of power or the politics of peace, this is the question of Palm Sunday. But more than that, I think it's the question at the heart of Christianity itself. Which brings us then to our rock for this morning. And our question for this morning and our question for the week is the question that we've been asking. Will we follow the politics of power Or will we follow the politics of peace? Will we continue down the tired old road of the politics of power, which is the way of Rome, the way of empire, and it ends with violence and domination and retribution? Or will we follow down the way of peace, of Jesus, of the kingdom, which leads to peace itself, wholeness itself and the redemption of all things. See, we know the story of the politics of power well. We know where it goes. We know how it ends. But will we give the politics of peace a chance? Will we follow the politics of power or will we follow the politics of peace? The choice is ours. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you that when you revealed yourself in Jesus, that you uh, didn't perpetuate the same old story of the politics of power, of violence, of domination. But that instead, you gave us an alternative. And you invite us into that alternative. To orient our life, our shared life together. Not around power, but around a peace. And a peace that speaks of a fullness, a flourishing of all of human life. Not the absence of conflict, but but the making but the healing of conflict 
that doesn't avoid the difficulties of the world, but enters into it to bring about a wholeness and a redemption of all things. God, this week, as we sit with this question of will we follow the politics of power, the politics of peace, I pray that your spirit would be beckoning us, would be calling us towards the politics of peace, and would be shaping us and forming us more and more into the image of Jesus, who shows us what the politics of peace look like. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.